Okay, should we record a podcast? Yeah, the vocals are well and truly warmed up. The yeah. emotions. <laughs> <laughs> hello, hello. My name is Abby Mickey, and you're listening to the Wheel Talk podcast from the Escape Collective. I'm joined by my co-hosts, Gracie Elvin. Hey, hey. Always good to be here. Lauren Rowney. You got me, Abby. I was like, I don't know if you do this, Gracie. Wait in anticipation. And she pauses on purpose. And you're like, yeah, is yeah, it going to yeah, be yeah. me or is it going to be Gracie? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. G'day everyone. I'll I'll make a real Aussie sort of introduction. <laughs> yeah, we might not be racing in Australia anymore, but my attention is still on Australia because Taylor Swift is currently performing in Australia. And so I've been keeping up to date with all of the surprise songs. And um she really wants to put us through it as Swifties, but that's neither here nor there. We're here to talk about bike racing. So let's talk about bike racing. <laughs> there was a race in Spain this week or last week, rather, that was not a world tour race, but had a large chunk of world tour talent. And we are mere days away from opening weekend. Omloop Pet Newswad is coming up on Saturday. We're going to talk about all of that. And we'll start in Spain with the Setmana Ciclista Valenciana that happened last week. It was a great race. Two stage wins by Elisa Balsamo, two stage wins by SC Works Pro Time, and the overall Marlon Roycer. Let's start with Roycer. So we're going to start with stage two. I, I have a plan. Don't worry. <laughs> okay, you, you, you'll you. see where I'm going with this <laughs> shortly. <laughs> Yeah, Roycer attacked on the second stage. She went six kilometers solo, and that move secured her the overall, even after a good climby stage on stage three. Let's talk about that attack. It was it wasn't really an attack. It was kind of like an acceleration mm. that was following a acceleration. Like they they weren't really attacks because they were on a downhill. So well, there was really like a lull, like wasn't a, there? They're kind of yeah, looking it, around. Yeah, the whole thing was like really weird. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, but it was a lot of. I think the reason that it's it's a little bit significant is because there were a lot of names in that move that we want to see in the classics mm -hmm. so seeing them on form enough to be up the road is great news and that's Kashini Wadoma Mariana Voss was up there mm. she finished on the podium of two stages so awesome to see Voss back in the peloton this was her first race back and obviously she will be targeting the classics or at least hoping to do well at the classics so this is a great tune-up for her going into next weekend and the the Sharon Van Anroy was also in the group. Remember, she didn't do much cross this year, and she's really focused on the road. So having her up there was also a significant move. Shabby with Kasha, those two still doing their thing. And Evita Music for FDJ Suez, um, which I think like she's a rider that's been really interesting for a long time. She won that stage of the Giro in 2020, and she's kind of always been one of FTJ Suez's like potential GC riders, but she's had a couple struggles in the years and she's still really young. So it's been a while before she's actually proven that she deserves that role. And I think that her being in that group and being up there kind of shows that she's getting there. She's, she's making those improvements and getting better. Um, but yeah, Royster ended up being the one that made the eventual winning move. And I think that obviously like she gets any, distance from mm -hmm. any group and it's a it's a danger 
but also you could see the group behind her not really working. They were kind of looking at each other a little bit. And in the end, the gap was only 29 seconds. It wasn't massive. It was enough that she could take the overall with that move. That last 5K was more downhill than not. So it was mm-hmm. maybe it wasn't fully calculated by Rusa to go there. But, you know, I think she would have done her homework enough to know that if she if there was an opportunity, it's a good spot for a solo breakaway to potentially take the stage. So, yeah, I think it was just a clever move, even though it wasn't necessarily an all-out attack. Mm-hmm. Um, and something else, maybe you can speak to this, Abby, after Lauren's put her little bit in. Um, mm-hmm. There was other, a lot of other strong riders that weren't in that group too, so maybe mm-hmm. we could talk a little bit about how that group even formed in the first place. Yeah, I was going to set, like bring that up as well um, about GC contention and sometimes when there is that hesitation, like we've, we've said before, if, if Rusa goes, you don't want to let her go. It's like you almost have to react automatically because once she does have the gap. But, again, if it was a GC consideration, and we can go back to this, um, to give her a little bit of room that, okay, you lose this, the stage win, but maybe the overall is still in contention. If you're a GC rider, if that's what you're thinking in your head, like I don't want to burn too many bickies now because um, tomorrow is a big day and we know that the the third stage was hard. Like if you watched it, I saw people in the front group zigzagging up the climb. So it was a brutal climb and um, it was really a climber's climb. Um, And we'll get into how well Rusa actually did on that. So, I mean, she was climbing brilliantly last year. So we know that she has that potential just like Kapeki. But perhaps in terms of GC, it was more like, oh, this could be, okay, potentially losing the stage, but we're we're going for the GC here. But like Gracie mentioned, there were some key players missing from that group. Well, yeah, and you say GC, but like why would you let Niwadoma or Labus up the road mm-hmm. So, without being there? Because you don't want them to have any head start on you for the next day. Yeah, which is strange. And then when we look at how stage three played out, how that affected the GC in the end for those riders. Mm. Yeah, the second stage had some like really big names in it, like Amber Crack mm-hmm. just won sta- a stage of the UAE tour. There was uh, Rihanna Marcus was in there for Vins- Visma Lisa bike. So interesting to see that dynamic with Boss up the road and then Marcus in the group behind because she's kind of their GC rider at least she was last year I'm not sure if they're going to keep her in that role this year or if she'll if she will do something else but yeah Visma Lisa bike I I think had the most numbers in that second group with three because they also had Rosita Reinhardt who mm-hmm. um won the Deakin University road race and uh mode Maud Audeman oh the Swift the Swift yeah winner. yeah she was she won Swift a couple years ago and was on Canyon for a couple years and then picked up, or one year maybe, I think just, and then picked up by Visma Lisa Bike. But they they had the numbers in there. But they obviously wouldn't have worked in that second group with three Visma Lisa Bike riders in there, or V-Lab, as I will now be calling them, um, <laughs> with Voss up the road. Because Voss in a group, <laughs> Voss in a group, like that like you would look at that group with Royster if Royster hadn't been up the road and you would say okay boss boss has this right but like Gracie said to have Cassia up there which who who Mm. we know can climb and where her form is at at the moment obviously she's got good form she's going into the classics and obviously wants to do well there but um you know 
for for stage three, you would have picked her as a, a top three or four on at least. Um, so stage three was so good. I mean, minus the fact that we couldn't actually watch the finale because they decided to put it in a place where there was no cell service, <laughs> so mm-hmm. there's no live coverage of the finale. But I mean, we did get to see enough of the climb that we know how it played out really hard. Yeah, and. Yeah. I mean, everyone knows I'm a huge fan of Neve Fisher Black. It was amazing to see her not only riding so well that she took the stage and was able to like really do some damage on the climb, but also given that opportunity from Royser. There's a world mm-hmm. where she just paced on the climb to where Marlon could hang on easily and not have to not lose any time and not have any challenge from really Kasha's like the closest one to her in climbing ability who was close in the GC because even like Guy Riolini had already lost time. So she wasn't going mm-hmm. to be a challenge in the GC in the end, but there's a world where they never let Neve actually go on the climb. And she just worked for Royser and that wasn't how they played it. Royser let her have that opportunity and she was able to take, take the stage. And I think part of that is that she was quite confident in her ability to hang mm-hmm. with the climbers on the climb and she did great. I mean, fifth on the stage for Royser behind Juliet Labou and Kashni Udoma <laughs> third behind Guy Rilini and Neve Fisher Black, which I think is a great sign for Kasha, honestly, going into the classics. Like she doesn't need to be climbing like super well right now. It's more just like knowing where she is fitness wise before she gets into the classics and then the climbing mm-hmm. isn't really needed yet. So I feel like this is a great sign seeing Kasha up there right behind two of the best climbers in the world. And that, Royster, yeah. I'm nervous. I'm nervous. That was, what that, means. that was exactly the feeling with her attacking at 5K to go as well. It was still a long way out considering the hardest part of the climb had to come. And I felt like she was testing her legs more so than she was testing everyone else just to see what she's capable of this the season at actually. Um, so I agree, Abby, big things to come for Cassia because the Ardennes will be a big one for her. She loves uh, the races over that that period um, of the spring classics. I mean, she also does really well in the early classics, but I think more the Ardennes are, are better suited to her strengths. So, yeah. I mean, she'll be targeting Strada for the a billionth mm. time. She'll be, on, she'll be on the podium for like the 13th time. Yeah. But what do you say about Rusa? I don't know. Phenomenal. She was climbing in the saddle. Incredible power. Just formidable for, for what's to come. Obviously, the whole SD Works team has worked on their climbing. Mm. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, I think overall, like, the, the whole race – even though it wasn't a world tour race, we had 13 world tour teams here, mm-hmm. which we, I feel we've discussed in the past, the damage that does to the development of women's cycling. And also the fact that there were that many world tour teams meant that there were continental teams that didn't, that applied and didn't get into the race who like, for example, the Siniska, the U S Siniska team really wanted to get into this race. Um, it's a great race for, a bunch of developing riders and Lauren Stevens to to brace in Europe, but because there were 13 World Tour teams, that just takes spots away from continental teams. So it is a bummer, but it also meant that there was some great racing. And it meant that we got to see 
Elisa Balsamo back on her bike, back winning races after having just a horrendous year last year with her crash at the, I, I think it was Ride London, um, rode into the back of the team car and broke her jaw mm-hmm. and other things. And that was just a terrible year for her and for her to win both the first and final stages is great for the team. Uh, especially after UAE tour and how it did not go according to plan for them mm-hmm. having Balsamo win this. I-, I was curious how, why they sent Guy Riolini to UAE and then immediately to this, that is a quick turnaround, but they couldn't do that with Balsamo because I would have liked to see her line up against the sprinters, but yeah. I suppose that Riolini really get a little bit of confidence classics as much so they can pump her tires yeah, up she'll now. She'll be sitting out now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's a valid point. Yeah, that's a very valid we point. We probably won't see her again until Trophia Binder. Yeah, I'd say so. I would say. Yeah, so that's a month. Whereas yeah. Bals- um, Balsamo will be, you know, coming. They'll be looking after her very carefully coming into the um, Landers Classics. Mm-hmm. I'm excited to see how she stacks up against Weebus and Cool because I think she's mm-hmm. she's an interesting sprinter in that she's not as sprintery as Weebus and Cool. But she's still very good. I mean, she's beaten Weebus in a sprint before. So we know she has that ability. And so I think, like, going into the classics, if Balsamo is riding as well as she looks to be, it makes for some very interesting races to come. Like, when are they going to line up against each other, Mm. those three, plus Kira Consoni? I think it will be Drenta will be the first time we get to see them line up against each other. In a sprinter, sprinter race, yeah. But I think for Balsamo, honestly, like going head to head with uh, Weebers, um, you know, she's looking in, like she's in really good form. Um, and this would boost her confidence going into the classics. The harder the race is, because both of them we know can climb, I think they've got good teams around them, both of them this year. So for me, like if we do see. Uh, a small group going to the finish and they're both there, I think that's where we're going to see the biggest challenge where they don't have a traditional lead out anymore. They might just have one one person with them yeah. or perhaps even isolated. Um, and that's where we'll see the really good battles and that will just come down to that raw, raw strength and power that Gracie has spoken about at the end of those races because quite often it's, it's not the one that you think is the fastest is going to win that after 150 kilometers with all those hills and accelerations in your legs, it's it's a different race at the end. And I think that's where we'll see the gap close. And I, I really noticed that on stage one and four with Balsamo, she actually didn't have a lot of good support around her. Like um, Sanguinetti mm. and Hansen were kind of there helping her in that last few K, but really in that last K, she had to look after herself on both those stages and you could see she was making good decisions and she was more than capable of um, finding the right lines and popping out when she needed to. And just like you're saying, Lauren, like um, spring classic sprints are different anyway and you are probably going to be more alone or at least only have one other person with you. So, yeah, I think that it's going to be really cool to see some of these riders go head-to-head and some tougher races coming and and good signs for Balsamo. I think she's obviously looking like she's in good form, but I think mentally she looked like she was really in control as well in those sprints. Yeah, I did. Um, 
In the last Wheel Talk newsletter, I did a little bit of a breakdown of the lead out train for Webus in UAE tour, which mm-hmm. was a step out of my comfort zone, I will say. <laughs> I cannot sprint to save my life. So I was never there in the sprints. <laughs> but found it really interesting watching how much help Webus gets going into those sprints from her team and how how like she's won the race before she's even started sprinting especially at UAE because like at UAE you were watching because the roads are bigger so it's a completely different situation than the classics completely different but the team aspect you will be able to cross over into the classics especially the sprinty classics like you know get Wevelgem and uh Bruges de Pana those ones if there's no wind then the you'll have uh, some of the same factors at play, but watching like, um, baby G by Gurushi and, uh, Kapeki lead out Weebus, like the whole Peloton is losing their minds around them because they're coming into the finish and there's a rider off the front and SU works was like fully racing their own race over there on the side of the road, staying to the side of the road so that they have a ton of freedom to move, move around if they need to always staying together like knowing exactly where they're going to go and having one person in charge of getting them to that spot. Like when it came to baby G, like she was pretty much only in charge of making sure that they got to the right side of the road when they made that like right turn on the first stage, I think it was. So like watching that is super interesting, knowing that Balsamo doesn't really have that same help going into the sprints and cool does. But there's always, you know, if you can manage it, if Balsamo can sit on Webus's wheel, I mean, there will be a sweeper, so it'll be a little harder in theory. But like, I don't know, it's that was really interesting for me watching that and then watching Balsamo in the two stages that she won. It's very different worlds they're playing in. Makes it more interesting. (laughs) Yeah. For sure. Like a brief discussion of Valenciana because it was it was a good race. I I mean there are issues with this kind of situation um, where you have like a world tour race that isn't really a world tour race. But overall, I think going into the classics, we now have a good, uh, some good storylines to follow going into the weeks to come. And one of them is Bosmo. And one of them is Marlon Royster, who like adds to the SD works pro time chaos unit that is going to go into the classics with, like going into Omloop, they pretty much have a full roster of people who can win the race. Um, yeah. And so the what they're going to do, how they're going to play that with the the returning winner in um, in Capecchi and a lot of other options for how this could play out. So Omloop is coming up on Saturday. Yes. The first of the spring classics. How do you guys feel? You feeling ready? Oh, I'm so excited. Ah. <laughs> uh. So yeah, it's uh, love this time of year. I think every every season we say the same thing. It's just the best two months. <gasps> it is the best two months, and I'm so excited for it. I mean, the course, it's always, you know, a variation of the same, but we've got some cobbles, we've got some climbs, we've got some climbs with cobbles. <laughs> and then for Omloop, it's an interesting one because the the final climb is like 9K from the finish, I think, and mm-hmm. is quite a sh- like a relatively short one. Well, they're all relatively short in theory because they're classics climbs. And then it's like a flat-ish run into the finish from there. And so we've seen a couple times a solo winner 
Um, last year we had a solo winner with Lota Kopecky. We've had a duo win with Anamik and uh, Demi Vollering. So we've had, this is such an interesting race. I feel like this is a race that it can really go many, many different which ways. But I think this year I wouldn't be surprised to see a small group. It's either going to be like one person or a small group, I feel like, because the Peloton is just getting deeper and deeper. Mm-hmm. But there's also, but there's the Kopecky factor. You got the Kapeki factor. You've got the Rusa factor now. Yeah. You don't know what Demi is going to be looking like, but I'm sure she'll yeah. look good too. So, and that's just one team that we're talking about. Mm. Um, and clearly, yeah. you know, Jumbo I think has oh, Jumbo. My God, Visma Lisa Bike. <laughs> they have a great team as well. We're going to see some riders from DSM that we haven't seen yet, like Pfeiffer Georgie. I'm guessing. Um. There's a bunch of names, like you said. It's just getting deeper and deeper every year. And I think Gracie can speak to this, but going into this race specifically as the first spring classics race, it's actually really important to have a good race for your confidence going into the the next part of the, the season if you're targeting the classics as a whole because I feel it's a real confidence booster. I mean, you might not win on the day, but if you're making the front moves and you're making the race and you do your job well, even if you're just the domestique. Um, I shouldn't say just because they're so important to to getting the race win at the end of the day. Um, that's why this race is always one of the most fun to watch for me, to see how, how everyone's doing, how teams are functioning, because um, we've got new riders coming in as well because there were a few – you know, movements last year in, in transfers. So that's why this this race is a big one. Yeah, in years past, you probably had less racing opportunities before opening weekend than they do now. So you're really nervous because you haven't had that much unless you did the Aussie stuff, which even back then wasn't as much as it is now. Um, but I think the nerves are still super high. Even if you've done UAE or uh, Valenciana, I think you could easily – you know, not be feeling super good in those races or use them as training races or just be getting that speed back in your legs. But like Het Newsblad um, has historically been world tour level, even though it hasn't been a world tour status. So you, there's just nowhere to hide. Um, you're either going to have a good day or a bad day. And that's what you get most nervous about. It's just like, okay, this is it. This is season proper now. I can't just be like feeling it out. So yeah, I I really miss those races. I don't miss how nervous I used to get for them. <laughs> but yeah, it's gonna be it, it just goes next level every year ever since I was racing, it was like, oh my god, it's harder every time, but definitely watching now, like the level is just going up and up and up still. And as viewers and commentators now, it's just like wow, it's I think we're in for a big classic season and I, I think Pet News Bard will be like the real taster for what's to come. So I'm really excited to see what the sh- what, what goes down. Obviously you need a bit of luck on your side when it, with any of these classics, but like I said, it's it's the moment of truth is coming now for a lot of riders. It'll be really <laughs> interesting to see a couple of the riders that rode super well in Australia or like in you know, the Mallorca races, like take Naomi mm-hmm. Ruig, for example. She won one of those stages in Mallorca that was a sprint and was riding super well. 
And yeah. I think like that form and that confidence boost so early in the season going into Omloop, I can't wait to see how that translates over. And especially for EF being a new team, yeah. like how that, what that means for them and having, yeah. having Kristen Faulkner as well, who had an attack on the final stage of Valenciana and looks to be in good form for a team like that going into the classics. That's, that's got to be a confidence boost for them. But you also have like Visma Lisa bike that had an amazing time, like amazing few races in Australia, obviously winning the Deacon road race. They have a relatively young and new team apart from Voss and Anna Henderson going into these races. And how will that change their approach to these races? And there's, there's so many factors that I feel like the best thing about Omloop is you have a concept of who's riding well a little bit going into them, Mm -hmm. but it's like the unknown of how the race is going to go and who we're actually going to see at the front. I feel like the only given is that we're going to see SD Works Pro Time jerseys at the front. That's the only given. And other than that, we have no idea what's about to happen. (laughs) Yep, pretty much. It's like Christmas. You know there will be (laughs) presents under the tree but you do not know what is in those presents. <laughs> yeah, it's it's the question is how many SD works jerseys will be at the front at the end. Will it be yeah. four <laughs> or six? <laughs> Full team. Yeah. Yep. 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 Def, I reckon definitely four at the end, which will make it interesting. Because others maybe had a bit of bad luck and unfortunately couldn't be there, but that's the reason. Well, the current start yeah, list I- <laughs> is Kapeki, Vollering, Webus. Majerus, Rusa, and Chikini. So at least so four. Yep. yep. <laughs> at least five. That's <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>, five. <laughs> but that said, I, I feel this year as well, we, we've had a little bit of a taste with, like you said, the, the racing over the summer in Australia, UAE tour, the, the racing in Mallorca, now the racing in Spain again. Um, that it's feeling like, okay, SD Works are still the dominant team. I've I feel, but it's a bit more even spread now. Like if we look at FDJ Suez, I feel like last year we didn't talk about them as much. It didn't seem like uh, two years ago or three years ago um, for that team in terms of their presence, but they raced really well at UAE and were really mixing it up there. So I feel that's a team that we're going to see a few numbers up there. Canyon Shram have proven themselves over the past year. So I think we're going to see a few numbers from their team. We're going to see numbers from Visma Lisa Bike. We're going to see some numbers from EF Education. We're going to see more. And it it feels like the group is just going to grow in terms of, we've said it again before, that front group, instead of it being 10 riders, it will be 30 to 40. I definitely agree. That's what I'm saying. I'm seeing a small group come to the finish. It could it could very well be. We got a lot of and like even Little Trek is after their just horrendous 2023. They're coming into the race with Balsamo who's flying right now or it seems mm-hmm. to be Hansen who's riding super well. Alaria Sanguinetti is also mm-hmm. riding pretty well. Like they also have some great numbers coming in. Like uh, there's just so many teams that you're looking at the start list and you're like, "All right, Okay, this is like not SD Works Pro Time, but it they got a couple numbers. They got a little bit. And I think that if the whole Peloton can just band together, like if all of those numbers that we just mentioned just work together to beat SD Works Pro Time, we might have a race. <laughs> yep. Yep. I think that'll be the 
the big question pretty much every race that we come into this year of like come on guys <laughs> make them do as much as possible like come on just do it <laughs> chloe hosking had a really awesome tweet over the weekend about how her mom she used to not put her dishes in the dishwasher and her mom would do it and then one day her mom stopped putting her dishes in the dishwasher and then chloe was like there are no clean dishes and so she had to start putting her dishes in the dishwasher and in summary, the Peloton should make SC Works chase. Yeah. <laughs> it was a funny tweet. I think actually that was like, good. that tweet's like a year old and it's just funny because it still holds true. Still true. <laughs> we still haven't learned. We're still putting SC Works dishes away for them. Wait, on stage four of UAE, they had to chase, right? Yeah, was but they, that, was, yeah. that was such a weird chase for them because it was like, Amber Crack was up the road, and then with, I think it was like 3 or 4K to go, there was not a single SC Works Pro Time rider on the front. There went from 3 to 1 to 0, and then there was just none. And they did no work, and they kind of just, in the in that final 3, 4K, and they left it to, I mean, the complete chaos that was like one of each team. Like, Persico did like a massive turn that basically did nothing because she just expended a ton of energy and then popped and i mean it was like so chaotic that final stage <laughs> with them and then we still got second and almost won had the road been 50 meters longer there were moments in the tour last year you know where it was sc works job to chase and they didn't and emma norsgaard won you know like it's happened. It just doesn't happen yeah. super often. And I think like for a race like Omloop and those spring classics, there's so much going on and there's so much more pressure on these one day races than there is on a lot of other races on the calendar that it really, mm. there's, there's chance for just like looking at each other, the stage two or the group two syndrome. It, there, it's more likely that happens here than any other races on the calendar. And I just want to throw something in there because I do it every four years, um, being an Olympic year. <laughs> <laughs> that- <laughs> I was counting down the moments until... <laughs> to Lauren brought up the Olympics. <laughs> like, just how important... <laughs> it's true, though. And it does, I will say, can have impacts um, on how people race. Um, and I still think, yes, that the sport has definitely professionalised and people or putting the professional contracts, um, you know, above, say, sometimes selection events. But that is in the back of riders' minds. Like, I guarantee Mariana Voss will be trying to go for her, what, sixth Olympic team? Um, I wouldn't doubt it. And that's something that I think will be quite interesting, a team like SD Works, where they have a lot of duchies. Um, So that's also something to think about is, that the spring classics, these next two months are super important in order to get selected for the Olympics. Um, So for every rider there who wants to put their hand up for Paris, like this is the time to shine. And sometimes, you know, you're going to have that little voice in the back of your head in the race reminding you that, you know, some of the decisions you make in the race, um, are they going to be good for the team and also good for me? And maybe yeah. I'm wrong, but I, no, I do right. think that that plays into some of this, maybe the strange tactics we'll see 
at times is going to be, I think, to do with that. Yeah, for sure. Because a win at a spring classic is an automatic selection to the Olympic team, basically. Yeah, yeah pretty, pretty much yeah. every country. Pretty much would. any team. Yeah, I think we're seeing that that kind of behavior less and less every cycle. Like it, you mentioned it, Lauren, mm. like we are getting more professional now, but it's still, it is still super important for women, for female cyclists. Mm-hmm. I think the men can take it or leave it. Like the Olympics in general, I know that of, of course there's quite a few men that do want to go and it's important to them, but on the whole in that, in men's cycling culture, it's, you wouldn't see that dynamic play out really obviously, but I think you're like, I definitely agree with you, Lauren, in that I think we are going to see some funny dynamics here and there because of the Olympics. Yeah. I mean, like for, for some nations, even like if for the U S for example, if you're looking at Ruth Edwards going into these races, she's Mm. brand new back to the Peloton after a hiatus, after she retired post last Olympics. And if she is, was to podium at Omloop, like that's just automatically putting her in the conversation for the Olympics when she wasn't even a factor last year. So it really adds a lot to the, the overarching storyline of the classics and mm-hmm. how we're going to see some riders that like, wouldn't really be a factor any other year who are looking at the Olympics and like riders who haven't gone younger riders who have yet to experience that and there's a lot and if um bastianelli hadn't retired we would definitely see her win a race yeah (laughs) yeah yep yep speaking of retirement is this too much of a jump but ashley moolman passio announced her retirement at the end of this year for the second time but i'm i think this time it's gonna stick i don't know i mean i i'm I think that her decision to stay in the sport um, was a good one. Uh, like she's had a couple really good years since mm. she decided to stay, and since she made that move to AG Insurance, Sudal Quickstep, and I think her being part of that team has helped elevate it to a world tour status. And yeah. there are riders on that team that definitely, you know, worthy of being at that level. Um, like looking at the team going into the classics. I'm super excited to see what on on your low can do going into the classics, mm. for example. Yeah. Um, but I, I do think for Ashley, like she, she wanted to experience the tour de France femme of X Swift and she's been able to check that box and did quite well. So I think that mm. having that in the back of her mind and having done that last year and having one more crack at it this year, that it makes sense to me that she would be like, okay, cool. I, I'm happy that I stayed in the sport, but I also am happy to call it. Yeah. And I think Ashley is setting herself up really nice, uh, nicely for, for retirement. She's got so many other things going on alongside her professional cycling career with, you know, the Rocacorba cycling accommodation. She's doing a lot for African cyclists, um being a south african um she's doing heaps with zwift so yeah i can see that she's got enough going on that the transition into the next phase um will go quite smoothly who else is going to retire we always see so many was a big question the olympics yeah is my i don't know she's been in this port for like eons forever but she's still i think she's only she's only 34 or 35 i think she's our age gracie um 36 i don't 
I don't know if I mentioned it, but I bought her her book for my son, Harry, and it's his favourite book. Oh. It's called A Fits for Mully. Um, and, like, honestly, he's so into to cars, which I hate, but he's a little boy and I don't know where this car obsession comes from, but he's obsessed with her book and she is so talented as an illustrator. Um, it was in French and she translated it to Dutch, which is amazing. And the publisher is actually here in Bruges, so I managed to get him a book and he loves it. So thank you, Christine. You're incredible. That's so amazing. cute. Yeah. I love her drawings. They're really sweet. I wish SC Works like utilized them more in things like, I don't know, roster announcements for races and stuff. Yeah. Maybe she'll become a DS if she does retire, which I, I don't see it happening, honestly. But if she does, maybe then she'll become a DS of a different team. And whenever they announce a roster for a race, she'll do little doodles of the team. <laughs> I could honestly see her doing, like, trying to develop talent in Luxembourg. Mm. I could see her doing something like that. She's a she's a creative, so she's going to probably dive straight into that sort of stuff, which is great. Um, I hope she does stay in the sport because she has a wealth of knowledge. And, and um, she's not retiring that we know of. This is full. Yeah, she's probably going to keep going. <laughs> <laughs> she's gonna get like messages like i'm a great retirement and be like where the fuck did this come from <laughs> when she does one day <laughs> in kind of like a, on the flip side of of this conversation we also have like a bunch of young riders already extending their contracts over the weekend it was announced that guy Rialini extended her little co- trek contract through wow. 2027 um so another three years with the team which is huge. And I feel like like two of the main conversations we're going to be having all year long as we watch the racing is going to be like Olympics and Olympic selection and that whole situation because it always is in a year like this. And also the amount of riders that are in a contract year this year and are going to be moving teams. Like I, the Peloton that we're going to see at the start of 2025 is just going to be vastly different than the one we're looking at right now, because Mm. contracts normally go through Mm -hmm. an Olympic cycle. And so there are just a completely ridiculous number of riders up for, up for renewal or changing teams in the next year. And like we talked a little bit already about how Kapeki and D- Volering are already rumored to be leaving SC Works or at least are looking elsewhere for possibilities. And now over the weekend, a rumor dropped that Weebus Ooh. also is potentially leaving. That's a, big, that's a big one. <laughs> I think it's good. I love I love that these are rumors. Like even if they're rumors, it's good for the sport. It's great that we're mm. wanting to gossip about how much these women are worth. Like these are athletes. They're not just female athletes. These these are top level world class athletes that are getting good money at the moment and could get really good money in the next few years. And like I think it's it's worth even just gossiping about it. But it's if if these things are really happening and they are you know, having managed yeah. conversations around other teams, I think it's super important. And I think, you know, one of the the good things about Wiggle was what it did for the sport. Like it might not have been the yeah. best run team, but ultimately it pushed everyone's salaries up because a lot of riders just went there for the money. And that's actually not completely a bad thing. It's actually, you know, there's a good part to it because it, it brings everyone else's value up as well. So I really hope that these top riders are considering other options and they're getting um, courted 
properly by other teams with some really decent offers because that's just good for everyone, not just for them. And Weebus is technically still in contract next year. Like her mm-hmm. contract is through 2025, but that was that was a rumor that I heard. And I just think it adds just another dimension of crazy. Imagine that. Esty Works le- loses the three top dogs. Yeah. Yeah, that would it be crazy. Change the whole, I mean. I mean, it would make the racing really yeah, we would like it would completely erase what we know about <laughs> what the Peloton is gonna do next year. If FSC works is all of a sudden just a bunch of young riders <laughs> and Royser. And don't forget Christine. <laughs> she's not retiring, Abby. <laughs> <laughs> and Christine, she's not retiring. Yeah, a lot of exciting things to come. I, I'm so excited for Omloop. It's like the I don't know. Um it's not even like the we I don't know I don't know what to, I was trying to compare it to like a meal the entree like the the you know when you go to a yeah but it's like when you go to a really fancy restaurant and they give you like a snack sample while you're waiting for your table and it's like for example Tom's and I once went to this restaurant for dinner and they gave you like a cup of broth uh-huh. when you sat down it was actually the best part of the whole meal, but I feel like that's what we're we're about to have a cup of broth <laughs> that is going to like give us a taste of what we're going to experience through the classics. Uh, I love this. <laughs> I'm just trying to look it up. I'm sure that you guys might know this already, but do they have Hagalan the next day as well, like they usually do? Yes. Oh, that yes. sucks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I hate that. Yep. It's such a hard double Not, up weekend. Yeah, and- it's good for us. Yeah. Not so good for us. It is really riders. hard. <laughs> Um, well, that depends. I feel like the last I've, I can't remember if it was last year or the year before that the the um, live coverage was like really bad mm. of Hogland. Usually it's decent, but the course is so it's not a world to erase. So they're not required to have live coverage. And I feel like it wasn't it's never on a streaming service. It's always like a random mm. YouTube link or something or or a Dutch or Belgian yeah. website. Um, but the roads are so narrow and it's so windy and there's that yeah. one descent. And I remember every time watching it, I just they come they do that descent and then they come to the corner at the bottom and I'm just like closing my eyes like, oh my God. <laughs> like this is terrifying. It was scary in the Peloton. Somehow it's even scarier watching it live. <laughs> but yeah, in theory, yes, Hogland is the the following day. I used to hate that. 25th race. of February. I just, it just I think that be so legless after Het Newsblad because Het Newsblad was so hard, and then you're just like, I'm gonna do this other race. And sometimes there there are some riders there that don't do Het Newsblad, or at least they used to. Like you have a few people with fresh legs mm, some, that yeah. were, were going. Oh my and god, do- you guys! The provisional start list for Hogland right now includes Chantel Vandenbroek. Oh wow! There you go. See, see what I mean. I'm looking forward to watching her race again. She's, she's, she's a nice bike rider to watch. Like, she's she's a clever bike rider. So, keen to see her back in the peloton. Mm, we've got yeah, great. Just add another clever, clever, incredibly strong person into this. You wish for a time. <laughs> yeah. There was a really nice interview with her as well. How um, you know she? It was a Dutch interview. She really wanted to have a child and she thought as soon as 
you know, she had the kid, she wouldn't want to go back to racing, but how actually she just really didn't feel done with it because she still loved to race her bike um, and how she's just so excited to get back on the bike and, and race and whether this is her last year or not, um, she's just happy to be out there again. So, yeah, she's always a rider that I've really enjoyed watching and I have one year that I got to be teammates with her, which was really cool. And actually, it was after that year that she really blossomed into, yeah, a formidable force. Um, and I think you, Gracie, had a few good battles with her over the years, being a little bit similar in the type of races that you excel in. Yeah, I felt like she was her and Ellen always were there. The, the two people I was always butting heads with. <laughs> um, but yeah, she's she's got some talent, and she's won of the biggest races so she's kind of one of those mm -hmm. uh, we've probably said it before like underrated duchies but obviously having a good chunk of time out is a big unknown now for her coming back but like I'm sure she's done the work and kudos also to her support team just like all the other mums in the peloton you know they can't do it without their their people around them, whether it be their partners or family members. So, yeah, it's pretty cool to see that. And Ellen Van Dyke, let's not forget, she's coming mm. back to the peloton. I'm also really excited to see um, how she goes this classic season. Yeah, for sure. Very, very cool to see those two back in the bunch soon. Hogland will be interesting. There's um, there's a couple teams that are swapping out their World Tour teams for their Devo mm -hmm. teams. So there's... Canyon Tram is putting Canyon Tram Generation okay. team in. Liv Valula Jaco is also putting their Conti team in instead of their World Tour team. That's good. So that that will be. I love that. Yeah, there you got the the Devo teams lining up against uh, Weebus and Chantal. <laughs> well, hopefully they're a little bit tired. <laughs> anyway, so in summary, good weekend of racing coming up. We have no idea what we're in for, but it's going to be amazing. I'm super excited. You guys are excited. We're all excited. Make sure you tune in. Don't want to miss it. However you you stream your races these days. However you yeah. can. Yeah, I need to figure I'm out. I'm so happy I'm in Belgium. <laughs> any any Aussies listening to this podcast, can you please DM me and tell me how I can watch more races that are not on SBS this year? Because <laughs> I think I'm just going to have to. I think you have to get a VPN yeah. and pretend that you're yeah. somewhere else. <laughs> Some countries you can get free streaming. And others, you have to pay for it. So I feel like I'm going to have to pay for a flow bikes or something because you can't get Eurosport yeah. here, even if you have a VPN. Oh, yeah. So. Oh, that's mm, really yeah. annoying. What about Sportsa? Um, <clears throat> uh, it will be in Dutch, but. Yeah, I think like Sportsa and Rye are good, mm -hmm. usually free, but like obviously then you're not listening to any English commentary. No. It's, I don't know. I'll figure it out. <laughs> At least, at least SPS has got a few more extra races this year up their sleeve. So, and I get to commentate a lot of them. So, at least I'll actually feel Yay. in it. You'll have to put that in the Discord, Gracie, which races you're commentating, which are going to be shown live. Yeah. So then we can all use our VPNs to pretend we're in Australia. <laughs> yeah. <for a> <laughs> yeah. We should wrap up this episode. In case you miss it, there was a bonus episode yesterday on the Wheel Talk feed with uh, Tills. Matilda Reynolds did a interview with Heidi Franz while they were down under. Nice. Um, before the Deakin University Road Race. And it was an awesome conversation with the two of them. They talked about uh, Aussie phrases, 
but you should know. I've learned a couple things myself and had a had a good conversation about Heidi's 2023 that was she was part of the B&B chaos B&B Zaf mm-hmm. situation and found found a home and this year is racing for Live Plus Wahoo so the whole conversation was awesome I highly recommend it if you missed it and um we'll be back next week for a completely ridiculous episode I'm not going to tell you what's happening <laughs> you'll just find out when you start listening to it <laughs> but before we end this episode you guys got any obsessions? Uh, there's a new season new season of Australian Survivor that's been on for the last week or so. And, like, Survivor's awesome. Australian Survivor's not as cutthroat as American Survivor, but, like, we've had enough seasons here now that they're getting really good. But this season is, like, actually I feel like they didn't cast it as well as maybe the previous one. I think, like... Last year there was a season and they were just like finally like almost at American cutthroat level. But this season it's a bit hit and miss, but it's still very enjoyable watching. And like Kimbers and I, Kimbers is actually the one obsessed with it. She's like the most obsessed person (laughs) that you'll ever meet. I'm just along for the ride and I'm enjoying it. But like some nights I'll dream about Survivor, which is funny, and I'll wake up being like, damn. (laughs) I do care about it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love that. I find it always takes me a couple of weeks to like start actually being attached to players. I can't like get into it until I'm like, I really like this person. I have a confession. I've never watched Survivor. I don't know if you'd like it. I can give it a go though. It's pretty fun. Okay. If you I'll, li- I'll try it. If you like bike racing strategy, you'll probably like survivor strategy because it's, yeah, it's uh, it's a real tough game to play. It's pretty, yeah, pretty cool because like you, you're watching it being entertained, but you're also thinking, what would I do in that situation? And it's like, it's a bloody hard mm. game. So it's pretty fun. <laughs> All right, I I will give it a go. I'm just trying to think what a Belgian survivor TV show would be like. Actually, we have a, a program here called Camp Was, which is like a SAS sort of training thing, but it's like normal people get thrown into it. That's a pretty good TV show, mm. I must say. I did in, see in how people my go. old former teammate. Actually, I don't know if she's still in the team with you, Lauren, Emma Johansson. She posted mm. late last year maybe that she was going to be doing some Swedish um, kind of t- version? version of something like this. I was like, ah. that'd, that's cool. I love that people want to go have a crack at it. I, I It looked more like a, the SAS kind of a version when they use celebrities to go do hard stuff. So, yeah, I'd be keen to see how okay. she would go on that. If they do any dubbing that or like um, – Sorry, subtitles, because obviously you can't see, speak Swedish. But she'd be yeah. she'd be pretty hardcore, even after having three kids. Probably even more so after having three kids. She'd be like the one that people underestimate, yeah. and she just dominated because she's a small a small woman too. Yeah, quite often a, she's yeah. tiny. Yeah, very <laughs> mentally tough. A little bit, very tough. Yeah, she was a force during her career. That's, that's for sure. Yeah. 
Uh, what am I obsessed with? Damn it, I had it in my head. Now it's gone. <laughs> oh, oh, this is what lack of sleep does, man. You go, you go. Well, we know what you're obsessed with. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. what, do, what am I obsessed with? Taylor Swift? Always. <laughs> no. This weekend was the, for Nordic skiing, it was, there was a World Cup in the US for the first time in like 20 something years. Um, I think it was amazing. The crowds were just like insane. And I had a couple of friends racing, which was really cool uh, to see. And then the whole, the whole thing was just amazing to see on, on home soil, kind of getting, getting to see the Americans race at home. That's not something they get to experience very often. And for Jesse Diggins, who is just freaking amazing, getting to see her race, like a couple K from her hometown was just beautiful um i mean there was like a video of her skiing up to her husband on the saturday and she was just sobbing and i i was crying watching it because just thinking about what it would feel like to race something like that in your hometown i got to race a uci race kind of close to my hometown short story long the world cup in in minnesota was just amazing to see and watching gus schumacher win on the sunday the the 10k was just like out of body experience (laughs) the whole thing was insane i mean it's like having tdu in australia or having the tour of california in the u.s it's just not every day that you get to race at the top level um not in europe so that is what I'm obsessed with. I always forget that you had this other life as like a top-notch skier. And I think it would be really cool, maybe it will be an end-of-season podcast or something, but to hear more of that world. Um, I have considered starting a wheel talk. For yeah, I saw that, I think, in With a in couple of my friends Discord. who were in the... Um, but I'd like to to hear about, like, yeah, your personal experience, actually. Um because there's a few skiers that have transitioned right to to our sport of cycling. So, yeah. Cycling is a piece of cake compared to Nordic skiing. <laughs> yeah. I thought Nordic skiers, don't they have the highest lactate? Ice VO2. Not lactate. Is it lactate threshold or, yeah, the ability to build lactic acid and flush it? That's, no. Someone no, listening right. is going to be like, yeah, something like that. I just remember years ago looking at a chart and it was Nordic skiing or something that were the most impressive athletes. And biathlon. They're crazy. The ones we have to the, Yeah, biathlon the is nuts. <laughs> biathlon, you have to be Drop able your heart to rate. Like, steady. I have, I have a really funny story about when I tried biathlon once. We had like a... I'm always obsessed with Nordic skiing this time of year. I love it. This is why I don't watch cyclocross because I need to focus my ener- my attention to Nordic skiing okay. instead. I can't. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. I get it. Uh, do you have an obsession, Lauren? I, now I remembered it. So, yes, I did go back on Instagram and the best thing that has eventuated from it is the fact that, well, I love food and I've had a bit more time at home. And so when I get the spare moment to try something... I've decided I do like cooking. I might not be the best cook, but like raw slices and stuff like that and raw treats, I'm just like loving that stuff at the moment. So that is my vibe 
um, or obsession is just like looking at those delicious raw, generally vegan sort of desserts and then trying to recreate them because they're super easy. Um, and I like to eat and breastfeeding is great because you burn more energy. <laughs> Can you share um, like some some recipes that are like real winners because I want to try some of that, that stuff as well. Oh, man, the, the Snickers one that I did a couple of weeks ago, like I wanted to make this forever and I nailed it. I mean, it is not difficult. Like you, you can be a beginner chef and do these sort of recipes that I do, but it was so freaking good. It generally tasted like a Snickers bar. Um, so, yes, I will share some yeah. of my favourite ones. I've got a whole save section on my Instagram. And now I believe you can share, like you can do saved things with like a collaboration with someone. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm not very techie. I don't know how I do communications actually. <laughs> But yes, Grace, I'll share some. <laughs> I always have the intention to like make more whole food stuff, like my own bars and stuff, but it just never happens. I just, I get like bursts of like making stuff, but mm-hmm. yeah, just not consistent. So it's good to have a friend. I'm not consistent either, but I'm trying to trying to get into it. And then, yeah. It's good because all these things you can sort of like put in the freezer too Mm. and keep them for a little while. So if you have the inspiration, make a whole batch of stuff, put it in the freezer. Mm. All right. Sounds good. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week with a super fun episode. Don't miss it. And don't miss Omelette.